Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Of course, I am your host, Charles Hamaker. Man, I mean, welcome to the month of May, first of all. Uh, I will spare you the Justin Timberlake memes about the month of May. Uh, I don't. It's hard to put into words everything that's taken place over the past week, but that's what we're here to do. Uh, you know, the Seahawks took place in the NFL draft. There was a lot of good reviews of that draft. We'll get into that here in a second. The Mariners, the, the road trip hasn't necessarily gone the way that they wanted to, but yesterday's game to end the series in Toronto was potentially a great launch point towards a better uh, course through the regular season. Uh, the Storm have begun training camp. The Sounders got a point in Real Salt Lake, which is, is better than how things have gone in Real Salt Lake since the 2012 season. Uh, the Kraken, I'm sure you're aware of it. If you follow us, you're aware of it. If you you know aren't living under a rock, you're aware of it. They have advanced to the second round of the Stanley. Hey, Stanley, right there. Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the rain came back from a two-goal deficit to split points uh, in Louisville. The Sea Wolves are back on track. The Sea Dragon season ended, so I guess there's one blemish on this all. But all, all in all, I mean, it continues to be so damn cool to be able to tell these stories of our teams here in this city. Uh, you know, just going through that and hearing that, it is a excellent time in this city for our professional sports teams. And in addition to that, the other teams as well, you know, on the, the minor league and the semi-pro level. So, Anyway, getting that out of the way, getting the sentimentality out of the way, we're going to move forward uh, with our Seahawks here who took part in the NFL draft, this 2023 NFL draft, which a lot more picks than 21 when they only had three selections overall. Uh, Seattle had two picks in the first round, which was a big deal and a big opportunity to improve that defense that struggled so much, uh, as well as continue to add playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, which they did do that uh, with their 20th overall pick. So we'll go over the draft here, starting with uh, days one and two. The number five overall selection that Seattle took um, was cornerback Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois. Witherspoon is a physical and tenacious corner who plays with an edge and never backs down. He has the instincts, balance, and burst to smother short to intermediate routes. He's both fluid and fast enough to turn and run with most receivers and press coverage. Uh, he fights off, so he's, he's he's good in run coverage as well. Uh, this was a pick I didn't necessarily expect. If you saw last week's episode, I was expecting that Seattle would go with a front seven player, whether that was Jalen Carter, who a lot of people uh, had doubts about. And I guess Seattle did as well because he they would pass on him and he would go to Philadelphia, who would trade up, I believe, for the eighth overall selection. Uh, Seattle went with the best cornerback in the draft, and considering how poor they were in pass coverage last year, it makes a ton of sense. Um uh, we look over here to the 20th overall pick. Now, this one was interesting. I thought it would be safe and, and uh, make a lot of sense if Seattle were just to go more defense here, continue to shore up that defense that really struggled for the large majority of the 2022 uh, season. Pardon me. Uh, they didn't do that. They went with wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State University, the Ohio State University. Uh, Smith and Jigba... Arguably, again, the best receiver in the draft is an instinctive and precise route runner whose abilities to shake defensive backs working against man coverage looks 
and settle into soft spots working against zone coverage make him a quarterback's best friends. Uh, he's quick to transition upfield and can make multiple defenders miss after the catch. He did miss most of the 2022 season with a hamstring injury, but did show great burst and was smooth in this past combine, which is giving, uh, I'm sure, gave Seattle much more comfort uh, in terms of how that hamstring injury looked. That gives Seattle potentially their first true third receiver in the entirety of the time that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett have been members of this Seattle team. So Seattle finally gets a third receiver, a true third receiver, instead of kind of shuffling guys in and out. This result was eh, revolving door of third receivers and Geno Smith gets another weapon. So Seattle arguably gets two of the top players in the draft with their fifth and 20th overall selections two of the top players at their respective positions. And Overall, I would have to say that first round was a success. I think it's hard to not look at that first round as a success. We continue on here to round two. With the 37th overall pick, Seattle took outside linebacker Derek Hall from Auburn. Hall is a classic wide nine prospect with the takeoff speed to quickly build momentum and convert speed to power rushing from outside offensive tackle shoulders. He has a highly effective dip and rip move and closes well on the quarterback. So Seattle does go with a front seven player here to begin the second round. They get a guy who's got, he's a very rangy run defender who chases with some excellent effort. He has a great story. Derek Hall has a great story um, as to how he's gotten to this point in time. Uh, his comparison was Adarius Smith. And if you know who Darius Smith is, that's a pretty darn good comparison uh, for an edge rusher. So hopefully that's going to pan out because this, this was something, you know, I talked about it last week with Will Anderson. Seattle really has not had a, a certified go and get the quarterback guy from the edge. It's been a lot of waiting for guys like LJ Collier, Daryl Taylor to be more consistent. Chenna Nuosu had a great season last year. So maybe, I mean, outside of that, you know, Seattle continues to look for pass rush and, you know, Derek Hall is one of those guys that you're going to look for him to develop and be uh, someone who chases the quarterback for years to come in Seattle uniform. In the fifth, in the second round still with the 52nd overall pick, this one was interesting and did catch some flack. I kind of questioned it a little bit as well when I saw it in the moment. Uh, Seattle took running back Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. Uh, he did transfer, I believe, from Michigan State. I could be wrong about that. It was one of the Michigan schools. Um, Charbonnet is an instinctive, patient runner with the speed to sift through traffic between the tackles. Uh, he has the power, balance, and determination to regularly pick up yards after contact. Uh, he punishes defenses for sloppy tackling and bad angles. He can pluck passes out of the air and flashes after the catch. Uh, he does have some potential to develop into an effective pass blocker. So uh, this one was interesting. You know, I talked about running back last year. I was a little bit cautious of that. Um, let me see. I'm trying to see where he went. Oh, yeah. So he was at Michigan and then he transferred to UCLA. Uh, I mean, with Rashad Penny going to Philadelphia, Travis Homer leaving in the in free agency, I believe, to Chicago, Seattle's going to need a, a certified two to Kenneth Walker the third. You still got some guys like DJ Dallas on the roster. That's fine. But Seattle does want another big, strong back. And that's what Charbonnet does give you. Uh, and he does give you another option to really help bolster this offense. And we'll probably get a good amount of touches this upcoming season. Um Seattle did have a selection in the third round, but they would trade out of it to get uh, another selection in round four. So we move over here to the last few rounds. With the 108th overall pick, Seattle selected offensive guard Anthony Bradford out of LSU. Uh, so, you know, interior lineman was kind of the focus on this side of the ball for the trenches. Your tackles are good. You've got Abe Lucas. You've got Charles Cross. 
center. You know, you did sign Evan Brown in the offseason, but that wasn't a sure thing. And you kind of want to, I'm sure, build towards a center that can have the longest amount of time. Um, and, I mean, that can be your center for the future, effectively, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and here they went with a guard. You know, you did get rid of Gabe Jackson. You brought back Phil Haynes on a deal after Haynes effectively split time with Jackson. And then you, get, you bring in Bradford, another LSU guard, after you've got Gabe Lewis on the roster. Bradford is a big offensive guard prospect with the strength to steer defenders and move them off the ball when he gets into sound initial position and plays with some solid technique. He has the size and strength to hold his ground when he squares up the bull rushers. Uh, he tested better than expected all through the combine, considering that he's frequently late getting into position and doesn't change direction while on tape. So still, I say the word prospect. You can kind of get it here. He is sort of a work in progress here. With the 123rd overall pick, Seattle selected defensive tackle Cameron Young out of Mississippi State. So that was the defensive tackle pick that a lot of uh, a lot of people were looking for with Seattle. Uh, wanted to bolster that interior defensive line. This is where some did think, uh, again, you know, uh, with the fifth overall pick that they'd go Jordan Davis. I mean, not Jordan Davis. This last year's draft. Jalen Carter. Uh, instead, they wait here until they get Cameron Young out of Mississippi State. Young has long arms and does a good job of getting into the offensive lineman's pads. He does control blockers with strong hands and dis disengages quickly and chases with a great motor. He is a raw prospect and doesn't always seem to have a plan, but he definitely has some upside as a pass rusher, which is something that, again, Seattle is looking for. We move over to round five. The 151st overall pick is defensive end Mike Morris out of Michigan, who you can see there on your screen. Morris is an effective hands fighter who can cross the offensive tackle's face, rushing the passer. He doesn't have overwhelming speed to power. Um, oh, that's right. Okay. Um, but he generates push and gets off blocks late. Uh, as a run defender, Morris has the size and length to set the edge, and he chases with good effort. This was a pick that a lot of people saw good value in. And this next one, his former teammate out of Michigan, is another uh, selection that some saw a lot of uh, a lot of value in. Uh, with the 154th overall pick, Seattle went with center Olu Oluwatimi out of Michigan. He's a four-year starter and a powerful finisher who takes sound angles and consistently gets movement in the run game. He shows excellent awareness and pass protection. He has a strong punch and helps his guards when no one comes to him initially. Oluwatimi senses late arrivals and does a good job of getting back into position to prevent leakage. So, again, this is what I was looking for with this. Uh, with this draft, I wanted a center here that you could build towards the future with. I thought that would be John Michael Schmintz out of the University of Minnesota. Uh, he ended up going, I believe, in the second round. So Seattle didn't opted to not go with that after a few picks. Um, and instead, he waited for this Michigan center. Uh, in round six, the team selected uh, with 198th overall pick, safety Jarek Reed II out of New Mexico. He's a four-year starter who made 94 tackles and forced two fumbles last year. Very physical, versatile, enough to play corner or safety. Uh, he's small, though, with shorter arms, but he does have bigger hands. So interesting there, kind of taking a flyer on that safety uh, out of New Mexico State. Well, New Mexico, pardon me. And then in round seven with their final selection, another interesting pick uh, with a 237th overall selection. They went with running back Kenny McIntosh out of Georgia. He's a reliable receiver who plucks the ball out of the air and frequently makes the first defender miss after the catch. He's comfortable working out of the slot and splitting out wide. He's more quick than fast. He runs low to the ground and has uh, the contact balance to absorb and advance going up the field. So uh, all in all, I mean, 
I'm happy with that draft. You know, you look at the Witherspoon pick and the Smith and Jigba pick. Those automatically are wins for this team in this draft. Uh, Derek Hall, I like that. Again, you need more pass rush. You need to be able to get after the quarterback. Uh, Charbonnet, you were going to need a backup anyway uh, at running back. And I don't know if any of the guys on your current roster uh, behind Kenneth Walker were going to be able to really solidify that spot. So Charbonnet likely does that. Bradford, again, I talked about him being a very raw prospect sort of thing. So that one is also a little bit interesting. I mean, you've got Phil Haynes and and Damian Lewis, another LSU guard uh, on an interior line. Uh, I wonder if he battles with Phil Haynes for that spot. But, you know, with Gabe Jackson gone, nothing certain uh, in that as well. So, Again, I know Seattle is happy to take athletic offensive linemen. We've seen that before with uh, Noah, not Noah Fant. Uh, shoot. You know who I'm talking about when I say Fant. If you're a Seahawks fan, you remember. Um, well, and then Jermaine Effetti as well. With the 100, yeah, with the Cameron Young pick, that one's a little bit interesting. You know, uh, Seattle has still said they want to address that defensive line, that interior defensive in, interior defensive line they've talked about wanting to bring al woods back so we might see that um but at a lower rate than what they would have paid initially had they had they brought him back with that uh with his first offer uh morris and oluwatimi the michigan picks i think that's really solid in round five to get that sort of value and i'm you know i'm hoping that selection is the center of the future you know evan brown fine he's played solidly with the lions before but Olowatimi seems like you know this is a guy you look at the sort of pedigree that he had the sort of career that he had at michigan can grow into that and that's what you need you need a consistent center you need a consistent starter shell has not had that a, a good consistent center since max unger you know you can look at justin britton and sure you can make a case for that uh but I just have I've wanted more out of that center position uh, for years since Max Hunger, and this could potentially be the start of that. Uh, Derek Reed, I mean, hey, take a flyer on athletic defensive back. If there's a coach in the NFL that is going to work with defensive backs, it's going to be Pete Carroll. So that could be an interesting selection as well. But considering the amount of talent that's in the secondary right now, if you look at you know at least the corners, you've got Woolen and Witherspoon um, on at the top there you look at the safeties with jamal adams coming back from surgery with quandre Diggs, and then signing julian love uh it, it's, it's a loaded defensive back room so it's not going to be easy for a guy like jarek reed to come in here and make an instant impact uh kenny mcintosh is an interesting pick he had a really emotional funny uh call with the media after being selected sounds very motivated coming into camp uh, which I can understand again, round seven, you know, had a solid career at Georgia, uh, but it's going to be tough for him as well. And, uh, you know, I mentioned having DJ Doss on the roster. So you look at uh, Walker and Charbonnet and Dallas, and then, you know, a few other guys, and then there's Kenny McIntosh. So that's going to be tough as well. Uh, this is also the time immediately after the draft when teams start signing undrafted free agents. Uh, so far to this point on Monday, there are 32 of them, so we're going to go through them as quick as I can. Linebacker Michael Ayers out of Ashland University. Safety Mo Osling out of UCLA. Defensive end Jordan Ferguson out of Middle Tennessee State. Offensive lineman Kendall, Kendall Randolph out of Alabama. Running back Marcus Cooper out of Incarnate World, Word. Uh, linebacker Robert Barnes out of Colorado. Quarterback Holton Allers out of Eastern Carolina. 
cornerback Arquan Bush out of Cincinnati, defensive end MJ Anderson out of Iowa State, defensive back Lance Boykin out of Coastal Carolina, safety Christian Young out of Arizona, defensive tackle Ifeanya Maya out of Rutgers, linebacker Patrick O'Connell out of Montana, a long snapper Chris Stoll out of Penn State. So he's currently the only long snapper that Seattle has on the roster. Cornerback James Campbell out of Montana State, running back Chris Smith out of Louisiana, safety Ty Okada out of Montana State, linebacker, wait, nope, wide receiver Matt Landers out of Arkansas, uh, defensive tackle Robert Cooper out of Florida State, defensive lineman Jonah Tavai out of San Diego State, linebacker slash safety Jonathan Sutherland, Sunderland out of Penn State, Tenen Noah Grindorf out of North Dakota State, wide receiver Tyjon Lindsey out of uh, Oregon State, Linebacker Cam Bright out of Washington, who you see on the on your screen there. Uh, wide receiver Jake Bobo out of UCLA. Uh, linebacker Lamont Bishop out of Oklahoma State. Wide receiver CJ Johnson out of East Carolina. Quarterback Jack Cohn from the San Antonio Brahmas of the XFL. Linebacker Robert Barnes out of Colorado. Safety Hunter Nichols out of San Diego. Quarterback Reese Udinsky out of Richmond. And then lastly, tight end Caleb Warren out of Rhode Island. This list can continue to grow. Some of these are uh, just camp invitations as well, not necessarily uh, signings. So these are the guys that are going to be fighting for roster spots. They're going to be battling throughout the course of the preseason and the preseason games. Um, and again, I mean, the biggest thing you look at when you look at unfortunate free agents is obviously these guys didn't get picked. They didn't hear their name called in the draft but they still very well have an opportunity to come out and contribute. I mean, the biggest one that comes to mind is Doug Baldwin. And when you look at guys who went undrafted, so uh, that is still very much possible. That'll wrap it up with the draft there and the undrafted free agents list. I believe bell and I will look further into the draft here, but that's what we've got uh, for the NFL draft. So now we transition over from our Seahawks and the draft over to the Mariners where, you know, they've had some struggles over the course of this road trip so far in this early season. Um, but again, I mentioned that at the top of the show that this past game that they played to end out the Toronto series, give you some hope uh, moving forward that maybe they can turn some of these things around. So Excuse me. So we look over here to the uh, series against the Phillies in Philadelphia. I believe it's only the fourth time ever that Seattle has played the Phillies uh, on the road. April 25th at the Phillies was a 5-3 win to begin the series. Our player of the game left fielder, Jared Kelnick. Kelnick, three hits, one run, and one RBI. April 26th at the Phillies, unable to make it two straight Despite the fact that J.P. Crawford did have a grand slam, Seattle lose that one 5-6. to six. Our player of the game, of course, would be J.P. Crawford hitting that grand slam against his former team on a three-hit, one-run, four-RBI day. Uh, so it would set up the rubber match. Hopefully Seattle would come through on that one. Unfortunately not. On April 27th, they would lose that one 0-1. Pitcher George Kirby, our player of the game, is excellent through eight innings, only allows four hits, only gives up one earned run, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Seattle's offense obviously not able to give him any run support, and that continues to be an issue. So that was a tough series. I mean, you look at it. Philly is a good team. They did go to the World Series last year. They're missing a bunch of players. They don't have Bryce Harper right now, uh, and some of their players are underperforming as well. This was a winnable series. This was a very much winnable series. You look at that five to six game. Seattle got out to early lead thanks to that J.P. Crawford Grand Slam, and they just weren't able to hold on to it. That one on April 27th, they just never put up any offense. 
literally never considering that the score was zero. So, you know, the inconsistencies on the offensive end are just continue. They continue to be frustrating and the reliance on the long ball continues to be a problem as well. We look over here now. So Seattle goes from Philadelphia to Toronto to play a Blue Jays team. That's been excellent to begin the year. Uh, and they, they, they were able to squeak out the first two. April 28th at the Blue Jays was a 2-3 to three loss. Our play of the game catcher Cal Raleigh, two hits, one run, and two RBIs on the day. Seattle just unable to pull that one through. And everyone talks about, oh, you know, the biggest keys was they're able to win one-run games the last few years. They were on a historic pace when it comes to those one-run games throughout the last two years. That wasn't sustainable. It isn't realistic to continue to believe that they're going to be able to win that many games in one-run situations. Uh, it was just like the bullpen the last few years. The bullpen isn't going to be as locked down as it has been in 2001, 21, and 2022. It isn't realistic to believe that those two units are going to continue. Those two things are going to continue to happen um, without fault. We look at game two on April 29th. Another one to nothing loss. Our player of the game, starting pitcher Easton McGee. Yes, Easton McGee. He would take Chris Flexen's spot uh, here for this rotation uh, rotation day, getting called up that day from AAA Tacoma, uh, going six and a two thirds innings pitched, only allowing one hit on the day. It was a double by Matt Chapman, who's been excellent to begin the year. Uh, that would end his day. One walk and two strikeouts, forcing a lot of weak contact and giving the Mariners exactly what they could have asked for. This game would go into 10 innings, and the Blue Jays would walk off the Mariners. Again, no runs. This is, it continues to be an, a problem. And you look at that, too, the game before. Seattle's offense has a ton of power, a ton of talent. They're hitting the last few years, though, has just been you know, really bad. If you look at our game day posts uh, and our stats posts, uh, the day of Mariner games, you'll look at the offensive stats, and Seattle continues to be in the bottom 10 in, in batting average and in OPS and in home runs. So it's like even then, I talked about the reliance on the long ball. They haven't been hitting as many home runs uh, compared to the rest of the league. So anyway, we go to that final, the Sunday game that I keep mentioning, April 30th at the Blue Jays, a 10-8 to win in 10 innings. Our player of the game, catcher Cal Raleigh, two hits, three runs, and four RBIs for a multi-homer game. Uh, this was a game where Seattle came out Hot early again. Uh, Taylor Trammell, who had just been called up that day, and we'll get to that in roster-related moves, hit a grand slam on the very first pitch that he had this year in the majors after spending some rehab uh, down in Tacoma with the Rainiers. Uh, but Seattle would give up, I believe it was an eight-run inning. I believe all those runs, I know. Uh, no, no, they chipped away. Um, at one point, the score was eight to four. So Seattle had a four-run deficit to overcome. They slowly chipped away. Say so Oscar Hernandez hit a uh, hit a solo homer. Cal Raleigh hit a two-run homer to bring them within a run. And then J.P. Crawford hit a game-tying, uh, I believe it was a game-tying single, to bring us into the extras. And then they were able to move ahead, move forward. Uh, no, I could be wrong about that homer. I believe Raleigh's homer put them ahead by two. Um, I digress. He had a multi-homer game. But the, the, the resiliency in that one, the fight that they were able to show, the bullpen came in and didn't allow anything after the eight runs had been put up um, and Seattle's offense came and battled back. That's the kind of game, that's the kind of win that Seattle is able to take and move forward and start to build off of momentum-wise. So I'm hoping that's the case. I'm hoping that'll be that'll be true. Uh, we look at our player of the week. I went with Cal Raleigh. I mean, you look at uh, those two Toronto games, I uh, really sort of needed that. 
from Cal. He continues to terrorize the city of Toronto. It's not quite like when LeBron had that series against the Raptors and they renamed it LeBronto, but uh, Cal Raleigh continues to terrorize Blue Jays fans inside of the Rogers Center. Over the past six games, uh, Cal had five hits, six runs, three homers, all against the Blue Jays, 16 total bases, six RBIs, and two walks. I Again, that's mostly me going with that for the Toronto series. Uh, those are those are six very winnable games. Um, and technically, there aren't any must-win games in the month of April. But, you know, some of these results, some of these close ones, these one-run games are going to probably come back and, and be noticeable at the end of the season. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I look at it again. The, the amount of one-run games that Seattle was able to win last year is just not realistic to expect that's going to continue to happen. I saw it's like, oh, this is a big key for Seattle. You know, they got to find that magic. That magic wasn't sustainable. It was largely that magic. You know, a lot of a lot of instances of luck. Seattle needs to be better consistently to not have to worry about that luck factoring in. Um, especially considering, you know, the injuries that they're dealing with. Robbie Ray's out for the season. Uh, Julio Rodriguez left the game on the 29th with lower back tightness. He said he was going to be fine. He didn't play in the game on the 30th, likely as a precaution, considering the fact that they get today off. Uh, and they will start the next series tomorrow in Oakland. Um, Oakland, maybe soon Las Vegas. Um, so I don't know. Again, these, these things are, they're not, the issues with the Mariners aren't anything new. You know, the, the hitting issues have been existent since the 2021 season when they almost made it to the playoffs. And even in 2022, when they did make the playoffs, right? I mean, look at the 18 inning game against the Astros, 18 innings, no run. That's, you know, that's two games. That's two games. Uh, and then you look at, look at these games over the past week, uh, five to three win. Okay, you lost five to six. Five runs, fine. You lost zero to one. That's not acceptable. Uh, you lost two to three. Again, two runs. Come on. Uh, you lost zero to one. Zero runs. Not acceptable. Um, ten to eight. Okay, you see what I mean? Inconsistency there. You go from zero runs to ten. So, you know, again, the issues aren't necessarily new. The starting pitching continues to be pretty, pretty darn good. Marco Gonzalez had a a a rough game in that Sunday game uh, after, you know, the last few starts he had before that he was pitching pretty well. So, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to put much of any blame, any consistent blame on the starting pitching, considering the fact that they've been so good and they're so often the reason that you're in games. And although the Mariners defensive play has seen some issues to begin the year, they're still ranked around the top of the league in terms of total defense. So it's not like the defense is dragging this team down either. It's the hitting that continues to be the major issue. So whew. anyway, sorry to get so strong on you there. We move over here. Uh, before we get to the City Connect jerseys, we're going to go over some, some roster-related things. Uh, on the 29th, the team uh, recalled Easton McGee, as I mentioned, from Triple A Tacoma right before that game, and he would get the start that day reliever and right-hander Diego Castillo was optioned to triple a Tacoma that day, which was uh, post game April 28th. So uh, Diego has seen some struggles and he will go down to Tacoma, I believe to just really kind of figure things out just like Matt Fest has been doing on the 30th uh, of April. Taylor Trammell was reinstated from the 10 day injured list with a right Hamate fracture that he suffered at the very beginning of spring training. And he is back as you can see here with this photo from Matthew Bermudez from last season. Uh, and then Easton McGee 
the guy who, who the day before had an excellent outing was placed on the 15-day injured list with a right forearm strain. So he was able to go those six and two-thirds innings pitch with only one hit allowed uh, with a right forearm strain, which, I mean, uh, huge, huge effort there from Easton McGee. So that leads us to the City Connect. And then the City Connect... There was this big speculation of what it might be. There was the leak. That leak ended up being true to what the actual City Connect was. Um, there was a bunch of wondering what the City Connect would be because there's been some City Connects around MLB that are kind of hit and miss, some that a lot of people love. Um, since I saw the leak, um, it's it slowly grown on me, and I, I really do enjoy it. You know, after recording here, I might go to the team store and try to grab some stuff. But... Um, I'll, 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 we'll go through the photos here. Pardon me as I stutter. Uh, we'll go through the photos here and I'll read you some of the background and some of the reasons why the Mariners went with some of the picks that they did. So firstly, we'll go here with this photo of Julio. Uh, so the Trident cap that you see, well, this photo here of Luis Castillo better exemplifies it. The Trident cap. So the beloved and iconic Mariners Trident has been modernized to signify an aggressive new era of Mariners baseball. The cap consists of a rush blue crown. That's the blue that you're seeing that Luis is wearing and a black visor, the first time that this color combination has been used for an on-field cap in Seattle baseball history. We'll look at the piping here. Let's see if, yeah, Julio's kind of got the piping. Let's see if, mm, mm, we'll go with Julio. Uh, the piping detail uh, that you can see is a fresh take on the uniform piping used by both the Seattle Pilots, Seattle's first, uh, well, not Seattle's first, one of the first baseball teams in the city that eventually would move to Milwaukee and become the Brewers. They used to play where the Lowe's and Rainier used are right where Rainier is. Um, so that's the Seattle Pilots. Uh, some nod there. The colors that you can see that rush blue that's the primary color, um, and the the yellows is the rush blue is the blue that they're calling this. The yellows that are using are sundown is the lighter yellow and amarillo or the darker yellow. Capture the essence of the Mariners and the Seattle Pilots' original colors. The black that you're seeing and the black in the pants there is used as a nod to the 1940s Seattle Steelheads uniforms. So the Mariners, the, the, a big reason around so many of the nods with these City Connect jerseys are nods to former Mariner, uh, former baseball uh, historical teams in the Seattle area. And it's great to see that the Mariners are, are making that nod to the Negro Leagues, to the Seattle Steelheads, uh, after many people have wanted the Seattle Steelheads jerseys to be somewhat in the rotation. So they, they get a piece of that taste here. We'll continue with some of the history. Uh, we'll go back here to this. You see that big Pacific Northwest logo, the Pacific Northwest patch, uh, the mountain, Mount Rainier, the centerpiece of the patch, a celebration of the Pacific Northwest and the Mariners. That PNW is underlined to signify the energy and exuberance of the region's great outdoors. Hard to not like that. The leaf embellishments, uh, a.k.a. scrambled eggs, um, memorably appeared on the 1969 Seattle Mariners caps. I mean, Seattle Pilots caps, pardon me, and are incorporated on the edge of the patch to honor our region's maritime and aviation industries, which, I mean, that's hard not to agree with there. You can kind of see it in the photo. They're kind of lighter um, on those uniforms, which uh, the maritime stuff, I tried up our alley. The jersey font there that you can see, we'll go with this photo of a Eugenio. Uh, Seattle is stitched across the chest of the rush blue. The lettering style is evocative 
of the Seattle Pilots. Again, continuing to nod towards the Pilots. The drop shadow on the Seattle is a cap tip to the similar drop shadow used by the 1955 Pacific Coast League champion Rainiers. So again, continuing with that Seattle history. The drop, uh, the drop shadow is used to create dimension and depth to signify Seattle's grit and determination. Uh, we don't quite have a photo of it here. Shoot. Um, but on the jersey... Um, there's a logo of two tridents crossed on each other and words over it that says Soto Mojo. The popular phrase Soto Mojo is inside the jersey collar. Oh, inside. Okay. As a celebration of the Soto neighborhood, the Mariners have always called home. Two gold tridents point skyward, forming W's. The first W represents our state of Washington, home to every team that's been highlighted across this jersey that I've mentioned. The second W is for wins and to represent the W that the team lights up on the T-Mobile Park roof after every victory. Uh, you can't see it here, unfortunately, because they've got it tucked. But at the bottom, well, we're going to stick on this photo because you Logan and Cal. I mean, come on. Those guys look great. Uh, the my oh my, my oh my is right under the engineered tag of the Nike jersey. No three words are associated more with the Seattle Mariners than Hall of Fame broadcaster Dave Niehaus's famous phrase, my oh my. The signature call could be heard during every Mariners broadcast from the club's first year, starting in 1977 through 2010. Dave's descriptive and colorful calls were beloved by Mariners fans throughout the Northwest for over three decades. It's only fitting that his spirit is part of the first City Connect jersey for this Mariners team. Um, really quickly here, I think they're great. Um I wasn't too sure at first, you know, the Trident. I haven't always been big on the Trident. You know, you talk about the superstition of the Trident uh, and, and, and Seattle not having so many great years there. But the nods to the Steelheads and the Pilots and the Pacific Coast League Rainiers, uh, that's excellent. That's great. You know, and the, the tip of the cap to Dave Niehaus there. I grew up listening to Dave Niehaus. He's a big reason why I got into Mariners baseball and why I love the game of baseball so much. So I personally enjoy it a lot. Let me know what you think about it. I'd like to hear the different takes and opinions on this. Um, a lot of the discourse when it first dropped was that it was one of the better City Connect jerseys across MLB. Again, I'm hoping to hit the Mariners team store after we get done with recording here and maybe grab some things. Um, I think it's great. I think it's solid. Let me know what you think, though, about these City Connect jerseys. We'll, we'll end here with this photo of Eugenio giving the good vibes. Um, again, I really enjoy it. I think they did a good job. So... Anyway, we'll continue back here to the, the realism and the, the schedule of the team. Uh, Seattle sits at a 12-win, 16-loss record, fourth in the American League West still. They're battling through it. Uh, next up, they finish out their nine-game road trip, three-team road trip down in Oakland, down in the Coliseum, uh, where the possum is in the away studio, the away broadcast booth. Uh, if you haven't heard that, there is a possum living in the away broadcast booth at the Coliseum, and they have not removed it yet. Uh, May 2nd at the Athletics is when the series begins with a 6.40 p.m. first pitch. Uh, game 2, May 3rd, a 6.40 p.m. first pitch as well. May 4th at the Athletics to wrap up the series and a getaway game to get back home is at 12.37 p.m. Pacific. Then the next day, uh, Friday, May 5th, the Mariners will host the uh, uh, Houston Astros for the first time this season for a three-game stretch. May 5th is also when they will debut that City Connect jersey that I just showed you with a first pitch time of 7.10 p.m. May 6th versus the Astros uh, on that Saturday game is a 6.40 p.m. pitch. Um, and then May 7th, the Sunday game is a 1.10 p.m. first pitch. Oh, we'll get over there. 
apologies on that. Um, so, so, I mean, you know, we continue here with the division. Uh, it's the first time we're going to see these guys. We're going to see these teams a lot less considering the new MLB schedule that sees um, every team play every team throughout the course of the year. So uh, it'll mean that these games against Houston and Oakland are, are more important considering tiebreakers and such. So you've got to be able to take care of business in that time. And it'll be exciting to see the City Connect jerseys on the field as well. So that'll be big uh, for the Mariners as they continue on through the season. Again, lots of things to try and improve upon, mainly the hitting. Um, but, you know, again, that that Sunday win does give you a lot of hope in terms of what this team can do going forward. And you're just hoping uh, that that's the case. And, you know, we don't hit any more hiccups with that. So we move over here to our Seattle Storm, who, you know, we had the draft a little bit ago and now we have the training camp roster. So the, the Storm began training camp uh, a few days ago. No, yesterday. Pardon me. Sunday, the 30th. Uh, and. It's, it's a very new look roster. We've talked about it over the course of the off season. Um, but again, you know, we, we've got a lot of this positivity in today's episode. A lot of, you know, the Seahawks got the draft and that Sunday game off the marriage, trying to ride off of that, you know, the Kraken moving on. I, I, I still want to be very positive about the storm because I believe that there's a lot of talent in this roster that's looking to establish themselves, right? It's very much the underdog sort of thing. It's I've got something to prove. I've got a chip on my shoulder. It's got, I've got doubters sort of thing. So I think that's the case. Again, it, it, they, they're not going to be a contender, I don't think. Um, but I still think they're going to be able to win some games. So we're going to look at this roster here. Uh, obviously, Kia Nurse, who was signed in the offseason. Uh, Kaya Charles, Jade Melbourne, the young point guard uh, that Seattle drafted last year. She played another season in Australia, and now they're bringing her over. Maddie Williams, Seattle's shoot, yes, second pick in the draft. Uh, Arella Garantes. Uh, let me make sure I got the pronunciation correctly. We've got a pronunciation board here, thankfully. Arella Garantes. Yes, good. Um, Dulce Fankum. We're going to make sure we get this right. Dulce Fankum Menjiadu. So for you that are trying to learn the names of the storm, uh, Seattle's third pick in the draft out of USF, Dulce Fankum Menjiadu. Uh, we've got Ezzy Magbagor on the roster, so obviously likely the starting center. We've got Ivana Dojkic. Um, Dojkic. Dojkic, yes. Mercedes Russell, hoping to get her back after not having Mercedes outside of a few times this season, last season, uh, with those recurring head injuries. Uh, Yvonne Turner, Jordan Horston, Jewel Lloyd. Uh, let's see if Lovell pronounces her name differently. Nope, Jay Lovell. Uh, Sammy Whitcomb out of the University of Washington. So proud. I'll go with the UW hat. Proud for Sammy there to have her back on the roster. Jasmine Walker and then Teresa Plaisance. Teresa Plaisance. So it's an interesting makeup. You know, you've got Nurse Melbourne um, at the guard there. Yvonne Turner's going to push. Sammy Whitcomb probably coming off the bench, I would imagine, at like the sixth six role. But Doikic is interesting as well because she put up some great uh, numbers over in Europe. Jewel Lloyd's obviously the best player on this team. So it'd be fun to see. Mm, I'm trying to think now, though, of where we go with like a starting a starting five because I'd like to see Horston in there. Uh, yeah, Horston can play forward. So, I mean, with the true point guard like Melbourne, uh, maybe Doikic gets a start there considering she's more of a veteran in that sort of instance. Uh, but... Well, they're not too far. Oh, yeah, they are. 
Melbourne, Lloyd, Horston. What do you put at the four, though? Mm, maybe maybe Jasmine Charles, Walker or Charles. But obviously, Magbagor starting. It'll be fun to see the way that uh, head coach Noel Quinn and this coaching staff figure out this roster uh, and starting five. There are obviously going to be some rookies on this team as opposed to the last few years um, or last year, actually, because uh, Keanu Williams was on the roster. Uh, ah, I don't know. But it'll be really interesting, again, to see – this storm team because they've got a lot there's a lot going against them you know they lost brianna stewart Subert retired uh jewel lloyd only has one year left on her contract here in seattle so uh again i do think though that this storm team has a lot to prove and can do some damage i think they've got a lot of chips on their shoulders and and i, I would i always love to bet for the underdog so that's where i'm going to go with the storm team and hope that that's the case but we've got training camp uh, we've got dates available for training camp, so expect coverage there from us for training camp as that continues. Make sure you follow us on the on the socials, yes, uh, to make sure that you get all of that outside of just obviously our weekly sales, uh, circling sales force on Converge episodes. So we now move over to our Sounders, who had two matches over the course of the past week, uh, one of them being in the U.S. Open Cup. And as opposed to last year's U.S. Open Cup, where Seattle ended up one and done, they are moving on. So... April 26th versus the San Diego Loyal uh, was a 5-4 to four win in extra time. Our player of the match forward, Freddie Montero, uh, the club legend, had a 9.2 match rating. Two goals scored, including the game-winning penalty to put Seattle at five goals. Five shots on the day and 76% passing. Freddie did have the first goal of the match, so he bookended the match with the first and last goals. Uh, and Seattle will move on to play the LA Galaxy down in LA. Let me get the official date there for you because they they did announce that finally. But this was a squad. Uh, I believe there were nine players who were who have spent time in either high school or college in the Seattle area that were able to feature in this match for Seattle, and eleven of them that. Uh, have featured for the Tacoma Defiance or in the Seattle Sounders Academy. So it was very much a local side that helped Seattle win this match and helped Seattle going forward. Okay, here we go. Yes, May 10th down in L.A. against the Galaxy uh, at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time is when the next match uh, that Seattle will play in the U.S. Open Cup. So remember that. It is on the road, though. So uh, that is when Seattle will play the next U.S. Open Cup match. Um Really solid. Again, a nice atmosphere at Starfire. The nice, uh, compact confines of Starfire Stadium, Starfire Sports Complex. Uh, but nice to see Seattle win. I know that head coach Brian Schmetcher did say, hey, this is a tournament that we are trying to win. They're not trying to necessarily go out and have anybody get injured in any of these things um, with the U.S. Open Cup, considering it's perhaps one of the lower trophies, so to say, Um but they were able to pull out that victory, and they're on their way uh, to the next round in the U.S. Open Cup. So that, and then they would three days later, later play their next MLS regular season match at Real Salt Lake in a 0-0 zero zero draw. Seattle had plenty of opportunities in this match. They were just a hair off sometimes, literally a hair off. Uh, Jordan Morris missed an uh, excellent golden opportunity with a header uh, and instantly was, knew that he had missed it and kind of put his head in his hands. Uh, our player of the match, midfielder Zhao Paulo, JP, a 7.9 match rating, 93% passing percentage, one shot and two chances created. Again, Seattle had several opportunities throughout the course of this match to go ahead and find the back of the net. They were unable to do so, and they were able to collect a point, uh, split the points 
with Real Salt Lake, which, you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially considering the fact that it's been very hard for Seattle to win in Real Salt Lake since 2012. I believe that was the last time that they actually won in Real Salt Lake. So over the past week, not bad. I w- I'll take it. I mean, the injury report against Real Salt Lake, not necessarily ideal. Nuhu was out with an illness. Uh, Christian Roldan continues to be out with concussion protocol. Brian Schmetzer said he is doing better, but they didn't want to risk it in terms of his long-term health. And they said that was much more important than this match and getting him to play in this match. Um, goalkeeper Jacob Castro continues to be out with a left adductor strain. Uh, and forward Rory Diaz continues to be out with a right hamstring strain, as we mentioned last week, four to five weeks for that. So, again, though, you know, the U.S. Open Cup match to see so many of those youth players get in and feature – you know, it was a tight one. There was sloppy play a lot of the time. But to see those youth players, to see those players who are eventually going to come up to be more featured with the first team, get up and be able to contribute like they added. Uh, Ethan Dabalair scored, I believe, the second goal of the match. Paul Rothrock scored. Uh, he's a local guy. Uh, Reed Baker winning had an amazing screamer of a goal in the 101st minute uh, to put Seattle up, I believe, yes, uh, take the lead 4-3. Uh, to three. So, you know, and then Freddie Montero, the club legend, you know, scoring twice. So it's fun. I mean, that's the U.S. Open Cup. There's a bunch of things like that. A bunch of chaos, pandemonium, madness is going to take place. Um, so happy to see them moving forward. Uh, and San Diego played well as well, uh, played solid as well. They began, I believe, in 2020. Uh, and they put up a hell of a fight against the Sounders. So tips to them. We also like, again, it's a tough place to play. Salt Lake, you know, no matter where they're on the table, gives Seattle a hard time. Um, I'm just happy to split the points there as opposed to, you know, some ugly result, like an ugly result that they had a few weeks ago down in Portland. So uh, we look ahead here. Seattle sits at a six-win, two-loss, two-draw record, which is good for third in MLS and Supporter Shield uh, Supporter Shield standings and first in the Western Conference with um, their next match is May 7th back at home against Sporting Kansas City with a 1.30 p.m. Pacific time start. So they return home to Lumen Field to play a KC team. Uh, you know, anytime I see the Kansas City logo, logo, I think of goalkeeper Tim Melias body slamming Christian Roldan down like a rock bottom in the goal in one of the most bizarre, bizarre instances I've ever seen um, on a soccer field. So now, having concluded the Sounders portion of the, the show, we move over here to what has the city buzzing, what's, what's been the talk of everywhere, effectively, in this city, uh, with our Seattle Kraken here. You kind of can see Lord Stanley here. And there he is. Bloop. Bloop. Um, just incredible. Incredible over the past week. And I was thinking about it as the week went on, and I was like, wow, we left the last recording and went to game four. And they've played three games since then. Um, well, technically four. Right? Yeah. Um, and it's just been an incredibly wild uh, of a ride since then. So we'll get into it. We'll move forward. Um, April 24th was game four versus the Avalanche. A three to two win in overtime. Our player of the game with this photo by Liv Lyons capturing the essence of that game winner for Jordan Eberle with the game winning goal in overtime. Uh, three shots, two hits, and two blocks to go in addition to that game-winning goal in overtime. That was just pandemonium. That was the loudest I've heard that building ever get. Uh, this was a tight one. This was a tight one throughout. Um, I believe Miko Rantanen had both goals f- 
for the Avalanche in this game uh, to tie things up. We went through the third period. We went into overtime. Seattle got a few shots on goal that bounced around before Jaden Schwartz got it back out to Eberle. Eberle scored it. Place goes insane. Um, and Seattle would even the series after the game three loss to send us back to Colorado for game five uh, with an even series. So we go back here to the schedules. Uh, April 26th at the Avalanche was a three to two win. So Seattle takes a three to two series lead with that three to two win. See the, see the theme there. Um, our player of the game forward, Yanni Gord, one goal, one point, three shots, four hits, one block, and three takeaways. So Yanni all over the board there for Seattle, just as he has been for the entirety of the time that this franchise has existed. Uh, Morgan Geek got the first goal of the game a few days. I believe it was a few days. Uh, yes, a few days after uh, him and his wife had welcomed their child into the world. So uh, he had two goals in the series and one baby <laughs> uh, over the course of the series, as I mentioned there. Um, and then young forward Ty Cartier, Ty Cartier, who was called up from the Coachella Valley Firebirds in the AHL, who was named the rookie of the year in the AHL, uh, came up to effectively take Jared McCann's spot, a big physical body who was a rookie in the AHL, though, an undrafted rookie, uh, came in and scored in that one, scored the second goal of the game uh, in a big, big moment uh, for Seattle, his first NHL game, his first Stanley Cup playoff game, and his first NHL goal. So excellent for Cartier there, and a big impact. You say, oh, it's Cartier, Cartier. Not like Cartier Diamond, um, Cartier. There's a ch in it. Uh, and he spells his name Ty with an E, T-Y-E. Uh, but a big win there in Game 5 in Colorado. Seattle wins their second game in Colorado to send it back uh, to Seattle for a game six, a game six that could have been historic. Seattle could have won that one and taken the series uh, in Seattle, been a madhouse. No, the avalanche with their backs. Oh, well, and then I forgot to mention, pardon me. Um, this is kind of important. Uh, game four, Kale McCarr, uh, the play had ended. The puck was far away from McCarr and McCann, and McCarr looks over to the puck and sees this out of play, and then he checks McCann into the boards Sends his head bouncing off the boards. Uh, McCann's been out ever since. He missed game five. He's missed game six and seven. And he likely will miss more time. Uh, it's a head injury. It's likely a concussion. The team has not made it official yet, but it's likely a concussion. Uh, McCann's been out. McCarr was suspended for game five. Um, so he was out for that. Uh, oops. Cracking notification. Oh, okay. Never mind. Um so he missed game five uh, and was back for game six, but he didn't do much in game six. He was very rattled. The fans booed him every single time he touched the puck, and he really didn't handle the puck very well. Um, yeah, that game six on April 28th, missed opportunity, a 4-1 to one loss. Our player of the game for uh, defenseman Vince Dunn had the only goal of the game for Seattle, one goal, one point, three shots, one hit, and one block. Uh, this photo here, photo of the game from Live Lions, really kind of, Shows you what took place because you see a bunch of avalanche players there, and it was just all Colorado. Uh, head coach Jerry Bednar put their top line together of Arturi Lekkonen, uh, Nathan McKinnon, and uh, Miko Rantanen, and that top line just continued to terrorize Seattle. I believe they had a part in all four of those Colorado goals in that game. So sending it back so that would even up the series at three sending it back to colorado for a decisive game seven seattle's first ever stanley cup playoff series in their franchise history and it goes to a game seven how fitting seattle would win that game two to one 
on April 30th against the Colorado Avalanche to beat the defending Stanley Cup champions in their own building uh, and move on to the second round after so many had doubted that Seattle would even win a game in this series. Our player of the game and effectively player of the week and player of the series, goaltender Philip Grubauer. Grubauer, 33 saves on the night of 34 shots a 971 save percentage and 1.3 goals saved above expected effectively means that Colorado should have 1.3 goals more, but they didn't because of how good Grubauer was. Seattle wins the series. They move on to the second round and they will play Dallas stars. Our play of the week and the series, like I mentioned, goaltender, Philip Grubauer, Grubby in round one versus the Avalanche's former team, a 2.44 goals against uh, goals, eh, goals against average, a 9.26 save percentage, and 2.9 goals saved above expected in the series. Effectively, three goals taken off the board because of how good Grubauer was, which was good for fourth highest in all of the playoffs amongst all other goaltenders. So that was crazy, man. I mean, you look at that. Game four, the overtime winner is a thriller. You know, uh, sends us back to Colorado. Seattle plays well in Colorado. They get key contributions from Geeky, from Cartier. Uh, Yanni Gord tips a puck in off of Carson, Carson Susi from the blue line to give them their third goal of the night. Colorado gets one late, and they're not able to finish that one out. Seattle takes the win, sends us back to game six. Seattle falls on their face. Uh, they're not able to keep up with the intensity of Colorado, who's got their backs against the wall. Uh, sending us to game seven, game seven, tightful, tightful, tight, stressful throughout, uh, Seattle gets goals, both of them from Oliver Bjorkstrand, um, Colorado gets one back on the power play in the second period, uh, Seattle, well, and then Bjorkstrand who was searching for that hat trick hit the post. I believe it was at least five times. He hit the post numerous times could have had a hat trick could have extended the Seattle lead. Instead, Seattle is able to lock it down. For the end of the game uh, and win game seven, knock off the defending Stanley Cup champions. After all this, you know, in the first game, game one, Nathan McKinnon said he didn't see anything out of Philip Grubauer when asked about how good Philip Grubauer was. Uh, a bunch of experts picked Seattle to lose in five, in four, in six. Seattle wins in seven, moves on. Seattle's a hockey town, uh, has been a hockey town, though. Um, and it's just been a whole lot of fun. It's been a whole lot of fun this entire season. Uh, and they continue to do so. They get the Dallas Stars. And so just to look at Dallas really quickly, because this series begins tomorrow. where They get a day off effectively, and then they get to go to round two in Dallas. So let's see. I mean, you play Dallas three times in the month of April. Yes, April. Um, wait. And let me work to confirm that. But, you know, two of those games were close. Uh, the first one, I believe you lost in overtime. The second one, Dallas more controlled that one. And then the third one, um, oh, they haven't even announced that yet. The third one, you win in overtime in Dallas. The first two were in Seattle. Um, and then that third one, you were able to win down in Dallas. So, sorry, I'm looking at the schedule here. Trying to get that. Oh, no, they played them in the month of March, three times in the month of March. Um, okay, let's see. Yeah, March 11th, you lost to Dallas 4-3 to three in overtime. Unfortunate, tough, made some mistakes. You know, March 13th on Pride Night, 5-2, to two, you lost that one, just weren't in it. Just weren't in it. Martin Jones struggled in that one. March 21st at Dallas, win 5-4 to four in overtime on Adam Larson's game-winning goal, streaking down the ice. So, I mean, there's, there's already been some discussion. I've seen some of Kraken Twitter already worried about this game. 
worried about the series. Pardon me. Dallas is a very offensive minded team and Seattle tends to struggle against them like Minnesota. So I'm glad that we're not playing Minnesota. Uh, but Jake Ottinger is a different beast. Their goaltender in the playoffs and solving him will be a big deal for you to do. Um, I don't have a ton of doubt necessarily about this. It's going to be a really tough team to play, and Seattle must get better about the way they bring that pressure. Hope maybe maybe they get an Andre Burakovsky back. Maybe Jared McCann comes back, and they need those guys. Um, but just like with this Avalanche series, I wouldn't put Seattle. I wouldn't cast any doubt on Seattle. You know, I, they they show time and time again that their depth. They've got key contributions up and down the board. Uh, Bjorkstrand scored his first few goals of the series in that one. Maybe that sparks him. Grubauer has been excellent in net. Um, you just got to give him help out, uh, out on the ice. So let's get ready for round two. Uh, we look ahead here. We know the schedule for the first two games are going to be in Dallas. We don't know, uh, the rest of the schedule, um, for the home games, game three and four. So we'll look at that here. Game one in Dallas is on Tuesday, May 2nd with a start time of 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, I say game one or game two? I meant game one. Game two is Thursday, May 4th, with that time to be determined. So uh, I believe most of the schedule will be announced after today. Uh, there is a game seven taking place between the New York Rangers and New Jersey Devils. Perhaps the NHL will get more of the info out then. Uh, but for now, we at least know games one and games two. I imagine uh, the other games will take place uh, game three on May 6th and game four on May 8th. So we continue on here to our oil reign who, uh, unlike last week, they only played one game this week. Uh, they returned to regular season play. It was the 1,000th total game in the NWSL. And just like we've seen time and time again with the rain, things got wild. So April 29th at Racing Louisville, a 2-2 two two draw. The rain went down a goal nearly instantly into this match, and we're down by two for a large portion of it. It was frustrating uh, you know, to see them play like this after having such great great results in uh in california in that challenge cup match last week and then the five goals against chicago uh just a few days later uh to see them struggle like this they were able to get a few goals late megan rapino had a penalty uh i believe that putter is the best the most penalty scores uh in nwsl history i could be wrong i believe that was the stat um and then late late into the match for jordan heidema a header goal to tie this thing up uh, there was some, I mean, I, I saw the last few minutes of the match in terms of extra time and there was no real pressure on either way to get a potential winner. Uh, so the teams would split the points in an out in an incredible fashion as again, Seattle had been, I mean, Seattle, yeah, no Seattle, the rain had been out of this match for the vast majority of the course of the 90 minutes and to see them come away with a draw is just kind of stunning. You know, I, I would not ex have expected that. And I was fully expecting this team to, to come out with a loss following going down like that. Um, yeah, the Rapino goal came in the 69th minute. So effectively, they were down until the last 20 minutes of the match. Um, things got physical. Louisville Savannah DeMello got a red card in the 73rd minute. Uh, there were yellows given out. Yeah, there was a one, two, three, four, five. Five cards issued in this match. Um, and the rain were able to come out victorious. So... Yeah. Anyway, um, the injury report and, and, you know, to see them come out with a draw and to fight back for this 
considering the injury report makes it extra incredible. The rain had Angelino is out, continues to be out with a knee injury, with a season-ending knee injury. Uh, she is progressing well, though, as you mentioned last week. Rose Lavelle continues to be out with a leg injury. Fiva McLaren is out still with a back injury. Ford Veronica Lasko is out with an excused absence. Uh, midfielder Quinn, they were out with a leg injury. And then midfielder Olivia Vanderyat was still out with an excused absence. So Seattle was out, what, that's four defenders. I mean, four midfielders, pardon me. Um, a forward and a defender. So to to come back and to show that effort on the road, uh, down by two goals, that's excellent. That is excellent. That is the sort of thing that you expect from contending teams. So the rain did their job there in that instance. Um, we look ahead here as the rain now sit at a three win, one loss, one draw record. They will play another Challenge Cup match uh, back here. They'll play their next two matches here in Seattle, both of them within a span of three days. Uh, May 3rd versus Angel City FC, a 7 p.m. Pacific time start. Uh, that is a Challenge Cup match, as you see the giant UKG Challenge Cup match uh, logo there. And then their next match, May 6th versus the Houston Dash, a 7 p.m. Pacific time start. That is on Paramount+. Plus. So two matches over the course of the next week. One of them Challenge Cup, one of them regular season. Um, that sends us over to our Seawolves here, who get back on the winning track, and they continue to be back on the winning track, um, building wins over teams that have struggled. I mean, the Toronto Arrows and the Dallas Jackals, I believe, have combined for two wins uh, on the season. I believe they're both now one and nine. Um so we move over here to our Seawolves who played the Dallas Jackals back at home in their city jerseys. Uh, April 28th versus the Dallas Jackals, a 61-19 win. Our player of the game, number eight and team captain, Rickard Hatting. Uh, the team captain had 15 points scored on three tries. Uh, Hatting sits at 10th in the league in total points scored and is tied for first in the league in tries scored. Yeah, so let's see. Dallas is 1-9. Uh, Toronto's one of nine. Yeah, so they've combined for two wins uh, on the season. Um, yeah, this one, this was, I mean, you see the score on the screen, right? You see the 61 to 19 score. There's not too much to get into it. I mean, Seattle was able to control this one. Hatting had a hat trick before the halftime whistle was blown. And I mean, it was just kind of all Seattle all day. You know, Dallas just kind of struggled um, as they kind of have in their existence. Oh, that's the wrong one. In their existence over the past two years. I mean, it's tough. They're they're continuing to work through it. Uh, it's just been incredible to see the way that the Seawolves continue to push. Uh, and they're, these these have been two tune-up games. Let's be honest with ourselves, right? The game's against Toronto. And we'll show you our photo of the match here by uh, Liz Walter. Boop. Um, in the Team City jersey there with uh, Rickard Hatting. Um, these are tune-up games, right? You know, you, you get the losses to San Diego and to Utah. Those are two good, good teams uh, in the Western Conference there. Let's see where Utah is ranked. San Diego is still at the top of the league. Uh, they they take the top spot with 54, 45 points, pardon me, at the 9-1 record. Seattle in second with the 8-2 record and 39 points. Uh, yeah, Utah 28, so they're 6-3. They've kind of... I mean, they're still a good team, though. Um, you know, those top four spots in the Western Conference are are not going to be easy to just say, okay, this is how it's going to be. They're not going to be easy to predict. Um, so it's good to see Seattle get that surge and kind of tune things up and just kind of let it out uh, the last few weeks against Toronto and against Dallas. 
um, when they've got a big match next week uh, with the third place team in, in the conference. So before I get ahead of myself, uh, we'll go with our team related news here. Uh, team captain Rikert Hedding was named to the week 10 top 15 best performers in MLR with two tries scored, 122 meters run and 12 tackles made on the day. So number eight, and the team captain continues to have an excellent season for Seattle. So um, I talked about this big matchup in their next game, and that's not until two weeks from now. So Seattle would have a week off before their next match. Uh, they will not play this upcoming week, so they might dip in the standings because other teams will play, uh, and Seattle will stay stagnant because they won't get any points. Uh, Seattle sits in an eight-win, two-loss record with 39 standing points, second in the league uh, and second in the Western Conference. Their match after next week is May 13th at the Houston Sabercats with a 5 p.m. start. Houston is currently sitting in the third place spot of the Western Conference, so that's why that match is so important. You don't want to drop a match to them and swap places with them and have them go up to second. You would like to ideally get the bonus point uh, and move closer to San Diego if you can try and get that first spot in the in the conference. So we move on from our Seawolves there, who are going to get a bye week, so rest up, fellas. Uh, and move over to our Sea Dragons here, who played in the North Division Championship in the XFL. They would drop that one um, against DC on April 30th on the road. Uh, they would lose that one 21 to 37. Our player of the game quarterback, Ben DiNucci. DiNucci, 31 completions, 295 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, no interceptions on the day, which, if you've been following this team and us, you know that Danucci and the team has struggled with turnovers. Uh, no interceptions on the day and 16 rushing yards. Um, that last stat of the rushing yards kind of a negative considering that he led the team in rushing yards. Seattle just could, they, they hardly ever ran the ball. Um, and it was all pass and DC was ready for that. DC brought a ton of pressure, defensive uh, coordinator, Greg Williams, tons and tons of pressure, uh, zero blitzes, all kinds of pressure throughout the course of the game. Seattle just couldn't, um, excuse me, Seattle couldn't adjust to that. And another early problem in the first half for the Sea Dragons was too many drop passes. They had a ton of drop passes. Uh, they would make these great, spectacular catches to – Jacor Pearson had a great touchdown catch uh, before the half, and they just dropped a bunch of easy ones. Jawan Green, uh, Green dropped a bunch of tough ones. Uh, it was tough weather over there with rain uh, throughout the course of the game uh, here and there, but, you know, D.C. was able to adjust – you know, uh, Seattle had been struggling with running backs all season long. They didn't really give the ball to Philip Lindsay very much. Uh, and again, Ben Danucci, the leading rusher with 16 rushing yards. That's bad. You know, you've got to have more of a balanced offense there uh, to an extent, I'd like to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. That might not be in June Jones's offense, but DC was able to make you one-dimensional. And you had to play catch-up as the defense wasn't able to hang around with uh, the defenders and Jordan Tayamu and the season ends in the North division championship. So it's a fun season. I mean, to see Seattle go on a five game winning, uh, winning streak uh, battle against this DC team and should have won two of those first two games in the regular season, beat St. Louis in their stadium by a good margin. Um, you know, it was a fun season. It was fun to see the XFL. Um, it'll be interesting to see what players will be back next season, which players will have their, have a chance taken on them in the NFL. And uh, maybe who just hangs it up, you know? So um, they end the season in the regular season with seven, three record. They lose in the XFL North division championship. DC will go on to play Arlington uh, in the XFL championship. 
all in all, though, you know, a, a fun season. So it's hard to necessarily get too down in the dumps about it. But we'll look at a season in review next week for our Sea Dragons uh, to wrap up their season. So to wrap up our show here, of course, we do our Seattle Star of the Week. And it's hard to go with anybody else except for the Kraken, uh, considering that playoff series win uh, to do so in such thrilling fashion. You know, I believe all of these, all of their results came in two or one goal. Uh, all of their wins came in two or one goal uh, differentials. And all of the scores in this game came in one or two goal differentials outside of the um, four to one win for the uh, for the Avalanche in game six. So, I mean, they, they fought this one all, all series long. They were heavily, heavily doubted to, to make it anywhere out of this playoff series. Uh, they take down the Stanley, defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, they showed great depth. They did so without their leading scorer in Jared McCann. They're still out Andre Burakovsky. They've been out without him the last 32 games of the regular season. Uh, and Seattle keeps moving forward. They, they don't have a true, necessarily true superstar but they've got a bunch of stars and they've got a bunch of depth, bunch of depth, bunch of depth. My apologies. I guess I have a lisp. Um, and they just continue to fight. They continue to fight. Philip Grubauer continues to be excellent and net after so many doubts. I got so many comments on games throughout the years about, you know, uh, games with the years, the year Grubauer, this and that. And he was the best player in this series for Seattle. He was the only, not the only, he is the biggest reason that Seattle is moving on to round two. So with all of that being said, with Seattle moving on to the second round with the, the Seahawks ending their draft with a solid draft class, what it seems, the Mariners uh, ending their series in Toronto on a high note, the Storm getting into training camp, the Sounders returning home uh, this week after getting a point, Real Salt Lake and moving on to the U.S. Open Cup, the Kraken moving on to the second round, as I mentioned, the rain uh, getting splitting the points in Louisville and now moving on to two matches over the next week, one in the Challenge Cup and one in the regular season. The Seawolves getting two wins in the last two weeks and getting into a bye week. And the Sea Dragons ending a successful season, uh, not necessarily on the note that they wanted. Things are good, man. I just continue to be happy to be able to tell the stories that we can, to be able to do what we do here on Converge Media, to tell these sports stories, to see where our teams go, and just bring that to you on this authentic level. I was born and raised here. Born and raised listening to Dave Niehaus, uh, Steve Rabel with the Seahawks, going to rain matches at Memorial Stadium. My parents had season tickets to Key Arena. You know, I, I was born in this. So to be able to tell these stories for you guys and to do this on essentially a day-to-day -day basis, uh, it's a lot of work, but it is a lot of fun. So I want to thank you all. Uh, it's the beginning of the month of May. We're getting through that spring, getting into the summer period here in Seattle. The sun has been excellent the last few days. So uh, until I see you later on next week, uh, until we get back to it, uh, I want you to take care of yourselves, be well, and do whatever you can uh, to make today a great day. Thank you.